0: Uh, My name is Sean. If you are new to us, I'm the executive pastor here. Pastor Will is moving his middle daughter, Allie, into college today. Uh, And so, be praying for them. I know there'll be a lot of tears. And uh, it's a fun time if you're a parent. I just did it myself for my senior. Mm. Got them to look forward to, those of you with young kids. So much fun. They don't write books about that. Okay. All right. So... Fun time we are in, but we are in a series uh, that we started a couple of weeks ago called Half Truths, and there we've been looking at some things, some, some phrases, some statements that we as Christians make that maybe don't truly reflect Jesus' heart as well as they could. Some of these we've had in week one, God helps those who help themselves, and everything happens for a reason. So if you missed out on any of those talks and you want to go back and look at those, those are all on our website. You can also download our podcast and listen to it there. But these have been some great talks. and They've caused some really good discussion. And this week, we're going to talk about this phrase. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. What does that mean? For a friend of mine, I'll tell you exactly what it meant. It meant damnation. You see, he grew up believing in Jesus. He had a, a deep relationship with Christ. And he grew up in a tradition that really held on to um, the verses that talked out about divorce. And he was fine with that, and and his tradition was fine with that. And he would have said, man, I'm fine with this statement. Until one day his wife came home and said, I'm leaving you. And it rocked him to his core. I mean, his foundation was knocked out from under him. And after the divorce, he just went into a tailspin of unhealthy um, actions, things that hurt him and hurt the people around him. And he continued in this pattern. So he and I were visiting one day, and I just kind of just flat out asked him, why have you chosen this path that you're taking? And he just looked me straight in the face and said, I'm going to hell anyway. Some of you in this room may feel that. Some of you may be carrying that burden. Someone in your path, somebody has said something like this, and, and you've held on to it, and yeah, you're here today, but you don't believe this is for you. You're here supporting your family, you're here supporting your kids, and you want them to have it, but you don't really feel like grace and mercy and love are for you. Because you're holding on to a verse that's probably from the Old Testament you just can't let go of. Or maybe it's not you, maybe it's your kids. Maybe your kids have done some things, have chosen to go down some paths, and you're struggling with it. Because if you feel like if you accept them and and you're okay with it, you meet them where they are, that you're really turning your back on God's word. And so, therefore, they feel your rejection, they feel your hurt. Truth of the matter, there's not really a relationship anymore. It's just pain. And how can a statement like this be so harmful? God said it. I believe it. That settles it. It's kind of like the statement: bless their heart. <laughs> it sounds so nice, doesn't it? But we in the South, we know what that means. You morons. I think if we rephrase, God said it. I believe that sells it to what the heart behind that is. It would sound something like this: "I'm right, you're wrong. Go to hell or sing my song." See why that phrase hurts? And some of you may be here today, and you haven't been in a gathering like this in a long time. Matter of fact, you walked away from gatherings like this, or you never thought you would ever show up to a gathering like this. Because somebody phrased it in some way or another, but you got the gist. That places like this were not for people like you. So if you're here today, we're just thankful that you're here. And we recognize the courage it took for you to walk in this morning. But I want us to look at this statement and see, is this something Jesus would have said? And to do that this morning, I want us to look at a conversation he had with a woman. A woman that could have been dearly, any one of us in this room. So if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to be over in John 4. We're going to be in the whole chapter from verses, it's, the chapter goes from 1 to 45. We're going to be really in chapters, uh, verses 1 to 30. But if you want to turn over there, let me set up the story for you. Uh, Jesus and his disciples were traveling. They were going from a region of Judea up to Galilee. The fastest way to get there was to cut through another region called Samaria. The only problem was you had to cut through Samaria, and the Samaritans and the Jews did not like each other whatsoever. They were enemies of each other. And this goes back to just um, some feuding that happened. But so most Jews they had to do this. they would go around Samaria altogether, but Jesus says, "No, man I'm a direct guy, I'm going the direct path." And so he cuts through there. And the reason why the Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other, you have to go way back in history. But way back in history, the northern part of Israel had been conquered by the Assyrians. And when they conquered them, they hauled off the best and the brightest out of the Israeli people. And so all that was left was the southern kingdom of Israel. And just a few Jews remained in this area. And whenever these new people came in, because it was empty, new new people from other lands came in, they co-married with these remaining uh, Jews who were up there, and so they had a new people, the Samaritan people. Now, the Samaritan people worshiped God like the children of Israel, but they didn't do it the way Moses had set down in his laws. And so because of this, Jews looked at Samaritans with disgust, because in them they saw all of their shortcomings. They were a proud, large nation, and they weren't that anymore. And the Samaritans were a reminder of that. And the Samaritans hated the Jews because they looked down on them and they cast them out. So, this is the backdrop of the story that we look into today. So, as Jesus and his boys are traveling through there, they get to a well in Samaria. It's a famous well, and it was dug by all their ancestors, Jacob. When he's there, he says, y'all guys, I want to rest for a little while. Y'all go into town. So all of his guys go into town and they get supplies to the rest of their journey. And while he's resting, a woman comes about noontime to get water. And while she's filling up her water, Jesus says, hey, can I have some of the water that, that, you're, that you're hauling? And she looks at him like, how dare you? Number one, because she's a woman and he's a man and The custom and the codes of that time was that women and men who didn't know each other didn't speak to each other. And secondly, Jews and Samaritans don't help each other. So this woman wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And he sees this and he says, hey, if you knew what I had to offer, you would ask for me and I would give you living water. She just laughs. What do you have to give to me? You don't even have a pitcher so that you can get water out of this well. You have nothing you can give me. And Jesus continues on about this living water. And almost sarcastically, she says, fine. If you've got this living water, give some of it to me. way, I don't have to keep coming back to this stupid well day after, day after day after day after day to pick up water. So then he says something to her that cuts her to her core. It seems so mild. He says, go get your husband. Go get your husband. This is what she says to him. Let's pick up the story. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. What can we learn about this woman just from the facts that we get from the story so far? Number one, she was an outcast in her community. Why? Because she was getting water at noon, the hottest time of the day. Women in this time would go in the early morning and late in the evening to draw water. It was a social event. The ladies would gather in the town. They would walk out to the well together. They would gossip. They would talk. They would connect, find out what's going on. But this woman was not a part of this group, whether she excluded herself on her own or she had been excluded by them. She had been divorced five times. Women could not divorce. Only men could. And this is how they had to do it. They had to walk and tell everyone in this community publicly that this woman I'm married to is not fit, she's not eligible, and she is not clean enough to be my wife. Can you imagine in a small village? That's what's said about you. The shame her parents must have felt. The shame she must have felt. And she's gone through this five times. And now the man that she's living with has to be just using her. Because he won't give her his name. But it's under this understanding of who Jesus was talking to that we get to see the depth of their conversation. Because Jesus is saying something to her that her own village has not said. He's saying, I accept you. I see you. Your past does not bother me. I want you to be in my presence. It's an amazing thing. Why would Jesus say this? Because Jesus came not just <clears throat> for, Jesus came for all, not just for the keepers of the law, because we don't see this just in this story, we see it in the whole life of Jesus. He makes friends with tax collectors, he makes friends with prostitutes, he makes friends with just those who are just called sinners, He touches leopards. All of these people, all of these groups of people, all these classes of people had been rejected by the religious leaders of their time. They had been said, you're not fit to associate with us. And God doesn't want you in his presence. You're unclean, you're unfit, you're outcast. Jesus says to all of them, it's not how I feel. That's not what I believe. I want to be with you. I see you. I want you to be in my presence. The woman is obviously uh, just amazed at what Jesus knows about her. She must be amazed at the the heart behind what Jesus is saying to her. Because we don't see in her actions that she feels condemned. We don't see in her actions that she feels um, judged what we see in her actions is someone leaning in, somebody trying to connect more. And so she says to him, maybe to get the attention off of her past, or maybe because she just really has this hungering question that all Samaritans would have had at this time. She says, I can obviously see that you are a prophet, you're a teacher, you're someone who knows the will of God. And so let me ask you, is the way that we Samaritans worship Pleasing to God. Is our worship on our holy mountain acceptable to God? Or must we go to the temple where we can never go? Because God only accepts worship at the temple. This is what Jesus says to her. Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on the mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. It goes on. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kinds of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and His worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. Radical. What Jesus just says right here. No Jewish prophet teacher would have ever said what he says right here. Because what he's basically saying is this, God is not worried about a place and God is not only for one people. She'd never heard that in her life. And this must have been the most confusing conversation she'd ever had. This is not the direction she thought this talk was going to go. Because he's basically saying hey, all the stuff that you know is no longer relevant. It's no longer relevant. We're not going down that path anymore. Something new that's coming. The woman says this to him. I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Because I know she must have been confused because I'm just going to tell you right now, we know the end of the story, don't we? And we don't get this. We don't get the depth of what Jesus is telling her here. We struggle with it even though we understand the full story. We struggle with the complexity and the depth of what Jesus has to say here. Because what he's saying is this. There is no longer something you have to do in a certain way to please God. And how... And Jesus had the audacity to say this. It's the last thing he says to her. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. And because I will fulfill the law, I will make it obsolete. I will make a new way. And that new way it's going to be freedom. You see, Abraham brought us a promise. Moses brought us the law. And Jesus brings us freedom. Freedom to love and be loved by the God of the universe. A freedom that we still don't quite comprehend. In Matthew 5 says this, Jesus talking, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Why can Jesus say that the law is obsolete? Because once the law has been fulfilled, it's no longer any good. It no longer holds a purpose. His fulfillment destroys the law. That's why his words on the cross are so powerful. After drinking some wine vinegar, the last thing he says is this. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What was finished? Everything he had to fulfill in the law. He did it right there, right then. Everything that the law required, everything that Moses had said we need to be, that we could never be, Jesus was. And in doing that, he made the law obsolete. He made it not relevant anymore. It's a powerful thing. Jesus looks at this woman and says, You're free. You're free from your past. You're free from the law. You're free from having to do this in this way, in this order, in this right mount to make God happy. I'm standing before you, the Messiah. And I'm telling you, you're free. Now, I don't know about you, but that brings me a lot of excitement. That brings me a lot of joy. That makes me want to run to the mountaintop and scream to the top of my lungs, we're free! And that's what she felt. She was so excited about this. Her life had been so changed by this. That's what she had to do. She continues on and says this. Come, this is the woman talking, speaking to this village, speaking to the people that had turned her back on her, speaking to the people who had shunned her, speaking to the people who did not care about her. She ran back, she ran to the same people with his freedom, and she says this to him. Come and see the man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out to the town and made their way toward him. You see, Jesus' freedom should move us to share. We should be moved to share this freedom that we have. But I know for a lot of us, it's hard to do that. It's hard for us to talk about our faith. I'm not saying we don't have faith, but we're struggling to talk about it. And the reason why is you're struggling to understand it. It feels complicated. It feels burdensome. And maybe if that's the way you feel, I want to challenge you to look and see, are you trying to live in God's freedom or are you trying to rectify the Jewish law and what Jesus has done? Because if that's what you're trying to do, it will feel burdensome. It will not feel free. It will feel confusing. Because those two things cannot go together. And even those of us who know this, it's so easy to slip back in to it. How can you know if you're slipping back in to trying to hold on to the law? If you're carrying around bitterness because you think some people are getting away with something, you're probably holding on to the law. If you can't forgive yourself and you're bargaining with God, you're probably holding on to the law. If you're holding on to a verse more than you're holding on to a relationship, you're probably holding on to the law. You see, Jesus' freedom should bring us joy. Jesus' freedom should give us peace with ourselves and with others. It should be the thing that motivates us each and every morning because we've been given this gift and we see that our loved ones and our friends and the coworkers and the people that we meet, they are still burdened with things that they don't have to be burdened with. And we want you to be able to share with them easily. It doesn't have to be this way. That is what Jesus gives us in our freedom. That is the joy He sends to us. And, guys, I know, I know that, that being in freedom can be a little offsetting. It can feel like we're just kind of adrift in this. And that's why I think it's so easy for us to try and reach back into the Old Testament and grab laws, because it feels like if we did this, all of a sudden now we have some parameters. Now we know where the boundaries are. But I'm going to tell you this, every time you reach back into the law to find your boundaries, you're rejecting what Jesus did. And you're rejecting Him. Jesus didn't come to give us laws he came to give us our freedom. And he just didn't leave us adrift in our freedom. He gave us something better than laws. He gave us a purpose. You see, laws are only as good as the situation that they're made for. And when any part of that situation changes, those laws no longer effectively help us out. But a purpose, no matter what situation we find ourselves in always gives us direction, always gives us a purpose. So what is the purpose that our freedom is given to us? How can we know the direction that we're supposed to have? It's real simple, love. Love is the answer. Love is our purpose. Love is the direction that we take. Jesus says this in John 13, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Guys, we honor our father and mother, not because there's a law out there that says we need to do that, because it's the loving thing to do. Guys, we don't, we don't rob and steal because there's a law out there. We don't rob and steal because it's the loving thing to do to not do that. Guys, when we're dating, we don't sleep with the people that we're dating. Not because there's a law that says we shouldn't do that, but because it's not the loving thing to do for them or for their future spouse or for their future kids. It's not the loving thing to do for your future spouse or for your future kids. You see, no matter what situation I find myself in, if I ask what is the loving thing to do, then I find my direction. I find my north. I know where to go in this. And if you're sitting out there thinking, Sean, this whole love thing, it's just too touchy-feely, it's just too simple, can't be like that, I'm going to challenge you. Have you tried to love like Jesus loved us? Have you truly tried to love as Jesus Love does. Because that's a radical love. Because I don't think we get it sometimes. Because I think if we did, we would never say statements like, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Because that statement is not wrapped in Jesus' freedom. It's wrapped in the law. If we like statements and we want to say a statement, maybe the statement should be, Jesus said, you're free. I believe it. That settles it. Guys, are you ready to live in that freedom? Are you ready to be excited about that freedom and share it with everyone you come in contact with? For us to become like the woman at the well. The woman who heard she had freedom and was so blown away by it, she ran back and told those who rejected her, who looked down on her, who would not have anything to do with her, who made her walk by herself in the heat of the day in the Middle East to get water because she wasn't good enough to walk with them. Does your freedom do what hers led her to do? God, our freedom should cause us to go and share with our friends, with our family members, and even, yes, with our enemies. Jesus loves the brokenhearted. He's all right with your past. He's not mad at any one of us. But he waits with open arms and says, Come. Come experience my love, my grace, and my freedom. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's BrazosFellowship.com.